Good morning. It's kind of funny. The back is all lit and everyone's in the back and the front is kind of dark. Just interesting. We're continuing our series in Psalms. Today we're going to be in Psalm 119. So if you have a copy of the scriptures, open it up to Psalm 119. And we're going to do things a little bit different. And by now you're probably saying, we do things different all the time, so it's not really different anymore. But what we're going to do this morning is Michael and I are going to share, because this psalm is so long and because it is such a great psalm, we could spend so much time just in this one psalm. Last week we covered a few verses, I'm going to cover a few verses, and then later on this morning Michael is going to cover the last verses, and then I'm going to come back up and just have some closing statements and share some things with you as we end. Uh, But Psalm 119, we're going to start at verse 65. It says, do good to your servant according to your word, Lord. Teach me knowledge and good judgment, for I trust your commands. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I obey your word. You are good, and what you do is good. Teach me your decrees. Though the arrogant have smeared me with lies, I keep your precepts with all my heart. Their hearts are callous and unfeeling, but I delight in your law. It was good for me to be afflicted, so that I might learn your decrees. The law from your mouth is more precious to me than thousands of pieces of silver and gold. The scriptures tell us that all the things that were written were written for our learning. It tells us that in 1 Corinthians 10 and in Romans 15, that we have these examples in scripture that we can look at and we can, by those things that took place, teach ourselves. You know, there there are two ways that we can learn. Well, there's more than one, but there's two specific, specific things I'm thinking of. One is you can experience it. You can go through those things. The others is you can let someone else experience it and then learn from what their experiences are. Some things are great to experience for yourself, like skydiving. I want to experience that for myself. I don't care if you go skydiving. It's not the same. I want to experience that. But then there are other things that I would rather just learn from someone else's experience, like getting punched in the nose. I'd rather you experience that so I didn't have to or what it took to get punched in the nose. If I can find out what you did to get yourself punched in the nose, then maybe I won't do that so that I don't get punched in the nose. And you see, Scripture is filled with examples of things that took place so that we could learn from those things that happened to someone else so that we don't have to necessarily go through those things. We have the example of Moses. We know how he had to flee Egypt because he killed someone. That's just one of many examples in Scripture and probably in the life around us that we know that tells us, yeah, it's not good to kill someone. There's consequences that you really don't want to deal with. Drunkenness, if you look at the end of Noah's life, it led to some pretty shameful things, him being drunk. You might want to go and look at that and think, oh my gosh, this is, uh, this is awful. 
That's what happens when you let go and allow the alcohol to take over or numb your thoughts. And so there's an example there. There's adultery with David. And seeing what happened with him and Bathsheba and even the murdering of her husband, Uriah, and how that affected him, the nation, his family in so many ways. The passions of Samson and and what took place with him and how he gave himself to those things. And so all these things are examples. Uh, uh, Peter's betrayal, how that affected him, the restoration that needed to take place. And so... You can either go through those things or you can learn from those things. And even Jesus has for us an example. And as we look at this passage, these verses, there are a number of things that are repeated over and over again. The word good is repeated three times. He says, Lord, you're good. The precepts, law, or word, they all have to do with God's instruction, whether it's written or given orally through tradition. Teach is there a few times. Learn is there a few times. And then there's one more. What was it? Afflicted. Now, that's the one. I don't know about you guys, but when you read that, is that the word that jumped out to you? Hello? This thing on? afflicted it is good for me that i have been afflicted i don't usually use the word good and afflicted in the same sentence how about you to me good is over here afflicted is down here and so david is talking and he's talking about this affliction being a good thing Now, I can understand, Lord, you're good and the precepts and listening to your law and your words is good. And God, I want you to teach me so that I can know these things. I I can see that. Teach me knowledge and good judgment. I trust those are all good things. But this affliction thing bothers me. It's something that makes me stand up and take notice. And, And what's going on here? Why are you saying these things together? And I think it's important that we step into this and not just step away. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5, we're going to start at verse 7. The writer of Hebrews says, During the days of Jesus' life on earth... He offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son, though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Son though he was, he learned obedience through the things that he suffered. Now I thought Jesus was perfect. How did he learn obedience? What does it, and then it says, and being made perfect, wasn't he perfect? How did he become more perfect if he already was perfect? You see, but when we think of learning, for us it's cognitive. It's all in the head. But in the Hebraic thought, learning is not just how you think, it's how you go through the process, 
that is learning. It is by the experience that you actually learn. Information isn't enough. Going through something is where you get the experience. So what did Jesus, how did he have to go through this learning to become more perfect? As it says, he learned obedience. What obedience did he learn? It says so in the previous verse. It was that of submission. It was that of surrendering to what God wanted him to do, which was going to the cross, this passage is talking about. And because Jesus reverently submitted to your will be done, not mine, went through that pain, he learned obedience through that time of suffering. Going through the experience was the example of submission and obedience, and that is what made him perfect. Not that he wasn't complete without sin before, but it had to take place so that he could be completely fulfilling his destiny, what God had for him to do. Affliction. Suffering is often the road that takes us to the place where we need to be. And you can't escape it, and you can't detour it, and you can't learn without going through it. It needs to be experienced so that we can be taught and learn. In Jesus' case, it was submission. Depends on the situation that we're going through, but sometimes affliction is what needs to take place for us to learn. You read a passage like this in Psalm 119, and many times you might think, well, yeah, I'm afflicted because I'm being disobedient. So I got to get punished. You know, God's going to punish me so that I can be good. But it's not referring to that here. It's just saying it's good. I... I Trust your laws. I, I listen to your decrees. They're, they're important to me, but it's good that I was afflicted so that I could learn your statutes. You see, the way to deal with suffering and injustice is not to bear them, but to use them. To use them to move your life in a way that's going to be more fruitful and full for you. You will go through suffering, Jesus said it in John 16.33. In this world you will have trial, tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. So why do we have to go through these things? Because by going through affliction, we should be learning and taking the things that we learn and move forward. Okay, so what do we learn? What is going on that makes this something that is advantageous to me? Well, we saw in Jesus' case, his example. Okay, there there are some things the other people we've mentioned in Scripture, the Moses example, David example. You can look at those things and say, I don't need to experience that to learn those things. But this example of Jesus, the submission, 
that is difficult for our lives is something you and I need to experience ourselves. He is that example that we should follow in his steps. And what submission to God does is it takes you to places of vulnerability. It takes you to places where it is sometimes hard to stand. It takes you to places that sometimes it's difficult to stand with other people. And you find yourself in a place that's painful, a situation that is pressing on you. And there is nothing you can do to get out of it. And what I have found in those times for my life, when I am forced in it, I can either panic and go into survival mode and run around like a chicken with my head cut off. Have you ever seen that? It's trippy. But it's a, a good illustration. I'm not reasoning, I'm not thinking, I'm not focused, I'm just reacting. Or I can submit myself to the recognition of God and say, God, something is going on here. I've got this situation with my son and he's in a crisis and I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if he's going to make it through this. I don't know if they're going to pull through this illness, God. I, I have no control over this situation. I'm hurting for the situation and I'm wanting to fix it. I'm wanting to fix it, but I surrender myself and I come before you. And I know that you are working. And so I submit my cares to you because you care for me and I will trust in you even though I don't know the circumstance or the outcome. I believe in you and I will learn as I go through that experience, as I submit that worry, that fear, that care, that pain to the understanding that God is there it's good that I go through affliction so I can learn his precepts, his laws. I can be aware of who he is and what he is doing. Don't shy away from affliction. Don't go looking for it. It'll find you. But when it comes, learn. Use it to make you a better person. Step into it so that you can move through it. Michael? Where's Michael? There he is. All right, we're going to be finishing up Psalm 119. Oh, this is high. You are low. Let's bridge the gap. Boom, there we are. Psalm 119, starting in verse 169. May my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. May my supplication come before you. Deliver me according to your promise. May my lips overflow with praise, for you teach me your decrees. May my tongue sing of your word, for all your commands are righteous. May your hand be ready to help me, for I have chosen your precepts. I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. Let me live that I may praise you, and may your laws sustain me. I have strayed like a lost sheep. Seek your servant.
for I have not forgotten your commands. And, um, and I'm going to pray again, even though we've done it several times over. Old habits die hard. Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, I'm just constantly blown away by what I see in it, by how you speak to us through it. And I'm so grateful for it. Lord, thank you for, for your constant goodness that's overwhelming, that's surprising, and that's just so wonderful and beautiful. I pray, Lord, that you'd speak to us, continue to speak to us this morning. It's your name we pray. Amen. I'm sorry, small child. So Sam spoke last week about how unique our God is that, uh, that, uh, should I move you closer? Yes. Okay. There we go. I didn't do Gil's test and Gil told me to do this and, and I didn't and I'm sorry. So I, I, I repent. Um, there we go. Is it better? Yes. See? Bien. Oh, do you need the O when you say that? Piano? I don't know. Or is it bueno? That's, should I move on? Okay. So Sam spoke last week, beginning again, about how unique and wonderful our God is, right? That in a world of polytheists then, and, and really kind of in a world of atheists now, that, that God is, is, is wonderful and special and surprisingly personal, right? That he, he cares about us. He wants to take care of us. And right, I mean, he cares about it, but, but it's, it's, it's not something that's distant and impotent. He wants to take care of us. He wants to be involved in, in every facet of, of our existence. And this is no more clear uh, and, and personal and very practical than when we're in distress and when we're crying out for answers and for understanding. And that's where the psalmist finds himself, beginning in 169, where he says, uh, My cry, it comes before you. Give me understanding according to your word. When we're just confused, you know, when we need answers, and, and, and we begin to beg for the omniscience of God and the insights that can only come from God. And God, what do I do? And God, where do I go? And God, how do I handle the situation with, with, with my family maybe or my children? Or, or what do I do with my boyfriend or my girlfriend? Or what, what about school? What about career? And we just have so many questions in my future and my life. And God, what do I do? And we bring it all before God and we lay it at his feet and we cry out to him. Seeking that which can only come from God, the understanding of all. And, and, and how do we expect God to respond? And that began uh, to, to, to be my question as I read this, this text. What do I really expect from God? Do I really believe that God will answer in some practical, tangible manner. I mean, I lift up my voice and I cry out. But what do I expect? And, and I know this is, this is church and, and we all know the answers, right? And you all know exactly what to say. 
And you all go, well, well, of course. And we give the high and holy response. And we go, well, God, uh, God will answer because he can do nothing uh, less than, than that which is in accordance with his character. And, and he's good. And he's gracious. He'll answer you. But can we respond with the certainty uh, that's displayed in verse 170? Where, where he, he just says, I prayed and you've promised and that's the end of it. Where, where there's, there's no degree of doubt. There, there's no question about it. I prayed. The God has promised. It's taken care of. You know, I work, uh, or I have been working with this, this girl for uh, three years on Saturday. She's in third grade now, so I've been working with her you know, since she was just, uh, just a, a wee, little, wee little tot. And um, I teach her grammar every Saturday. And um, uh, we were discussing a few Saturdays ago, maybe, maybe a month and a half ago, <clears throat> um, the proper usage of the semicolon. Right? And semicolons, are, they're perplexing for most people. They really are, yeah. And they're this mysterious little thing that we only really use when we're like, uh, you know, typing out a winky face to someone as an emoticon. <laughs> that's really, that's all we use it for. It's just a winky face. And, um, but I was, I was talking with, with this third grade girl about the, the semicolon, and I said, you cannot use uh, a semicolon to join together two simple sentences with a conjunction. Right, and 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 I know some of you, you grammar freaks out there, you're like, yeah, you can, but those are complex sentences, right? Not two simple sentences. You can't join them together with a semicolon and a conjunction. And so a word like and or but, and, and you're like, wow, this is really odd. He's talking about grammar, but I'm going somewhere. And and, and I, I said, you just you can't do it. So a semicolon and then a word like and or but, don't do it. Never do it. And and she looked at me and she said, why? And being a good teacher, I gave her an excellent explanation of why. I said, because if you do, the universe will collapse in upon itself. (laughs) And all life everywhere will be destroyed. And and I said, and you don't want that. You don't want to be responsible for that. So just don't do it. All right? (laughs) And, um, And since then, every Saturday... She's, uh, she's tormented me. Um, she steals post-it notes from my desk, and she writes semicolons with conjunctions on them. And she just a semicolon and then a, like and, or a semicolon and but. And then she hides them strategically around the office uh, for me to discover, you know, at, at some time. And, and then she comes in the following Saturday and she's like, did you find my, you know, little thing? And I'm like, yeah, I found it. And she's like, and you know what? Guess what? That was there all week. And the universe didn't collapse in upon itself. <laughs> Life still goes on. All right. You were, you were clearly wrong about that. And, uh, and w- what I tell her is, you know, well, there's a lot happening in the universe. Right? The universe has probably got its hands full. I can't account for every semicolon and conjunction out there. And, and she says, no, you're wrong. The universe doesn't care. Right? And I think that, that many of us get to that point, if we were to be completely honest with ourselves, uh, where we're quietly and silently and never uh, uttered openly, we, we get to the point where we start to feel that way about God. 
where where we think that that he's just he's not terribly involved he's not very active and uh, there, there's a bunch of stuff going on maybe he's got his hands full uh, maybe he's just busy maybe he doesn't care but that's not our god that's not our god every day our god uh, shows us that we are his priority and that he is not too busy that 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 he's more than just a concept that we can read about and study about and a couple times a week maybe hear about that that he gives us unique opportunities to see through the the mundane and the routine and to realize the miraculous and and to to see the 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 divinity of his of, of his miraculous nature in in that which is ordinary and the psalmist says, I know you care, so speak now. And God does, right? And, and he says the way that God will in verse 169. He says, give me understanding according to your word. This is the way that God so often speaks. I think it's really cryptic a lot of times in churches where like, you know, God spoke to me. And then we look at those people and we're like, wow, you're super weird. You know, you're hearing voices. But this is the way God speaks, right? He speaks to us through his word. He gives us understanding. It comes alive. It's more than printed words on a page. And, and you see that it's specifically and uniquely for you because God wants to communicate to you. He wants to have a conversation with you. And this, this is what he's placed before you. I mean, you, chances are you're not going... To, to hear from a burning bush. And there's not going to be an angel at the foot of your bed with a flaming sword. God speaks to us by giving us understanding so often through his word. And it's very natural. But, it, but it's wonderful. And it's beautiful. And he cries out in verse 171. He says, my, may my lips overflow with praise. It's in a response to God speaking. It's in a response to God answering. For you teach me your degrees. May my tongue sing of your word for all your commands are righteous. May your hand be ready to help me for I have chosen your precepts. I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your laws are, or your law is my delight. I long for your salvation. The Hebrew word, and since I spoke about last time how I'm a Hebrew person, I felt compelled to look up the Hebrew here. Um, it says, y- "Your law, or I long for your salvation." The word there is Yeshua, and if we were reading this in English, it would be Jesus. It means salvation, Yeshua. It says, "I long for you, Yeshua. I delight in you." And, and, and it has this indication, this connotation of victory and deliverance. It's all wrapped up in Him and who He is. And, and when we get that, which our soul uh, naturally uh, craves and so desires, this is our response in 175. It says, Let me live so that I may praise you. That's one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. And when Sam asked me, Uh, to pick a passage, I said, well, I want to skip all the way to the end then because I love this passage. Let me live so that I may praise you. I really like making videos and most of my videos are just weird and, and 
and terrible. Um, the children's ministry one was was one of them. But our idea, Sam and I, our idea was so much better. We're going to do the, what is that song, that in the arms of an angel or whatever it is, and with the dogs in the cages. We were going to do that for children's ministry. And uh, would that be inappropriate? I don't know. But that would have been such a better, we just couldn't find enough cages to put children in. That was that was the one hitch, you know. So... <laughs> But but I love making these videos, and I've mentioned it before, uh, but the first video I've ever made uh, was this video I made um, for a, a high school project, right? And I use my parents' 1980s era uh, camera that records directly to VHS, and, uh, and it's just, I mean, I can't find the tape, but even if I could, who would have something that we could play it on? It would be... So obscure. Did, was that a hand? You just raised your... Are you not at DVDs yet? Or Blu-ray? I mean, come on. That's insane. Seattle, you have something? Okay, we'll go to Seattle's house, the whole church. They're in a crowd around. But I can't find it. That's the point. And, uh, and I, I really wish, wish I had. It was this school project. We had to make uh, just a short video on anything we want. So I busted out the old camera. as It weighs like, you know, 110 pounds. And... Uh, I walked around Upland High School, and I asked my peers one question and recorded their responses. And the question was, what is the meaning of life? And and what I discovered was was just astounding and and compelling and and just totally confusing. Uh, Some answered and said that the meaning of life is to make my parents proud. Uh, That was a very cute answer. And some said it's to... uh, Reproduce and replace yourself. So that's our that's our point here. Uh, others said silly things like the meaning of life is to to eat skittles and have sex. That was one of the kids on the video. I didn't know if he meant at the same time. It's odd, <laughs> but it's not. Let's not try and dissect that statement. Um, uh, dozens said that they had never thought about it. And they'd never thought about about this question. Many others said that that the meaning of life is essentially whatever you want it to be. You know, just whatever you want life to mean, boom, there you go. You found meaning. And uh, still others said that there is no meaning to life. You're here, you die, you're gone. Life is inherently meaningless. And I struggled, you know, to comprehend everything that I'd seen. I'd been a Christian for only a year at that point. No one ever sat me down and said, Michael, this is, this is your purpose. Michael, this is the meaning of life. I think that would have been a very weird conversation to have with someone. Uh, so, so I didn't uh, you know, formally have the, the answer myself, yet I, I, I identified with the psalmist in this, in this passage that, that it doesn't need to be Formalized, and the tasks and responsibilities uh, don't need to be really articulated. It's just something that, that that naturally bubbles up from under the surface, where you say, "Let me live so that I could praise you," and that'll be enough for me. 
that'll be it for me. And, I, I, and that, that's the sum of it. That's the volume of it. And, I, and preachers, uh, they, they, they give lengthy sermons and they write comprehensive books about do's and don'ts. And they say, you know, you, you stop you know, lying and cheating and stealing and coveting. And you can go down a long laundry list and, and evangelize and pray and read your Bible 15 minutes every day. And that kind of rhymed. And I like that. Maybe we should write a book about that. And even though I just said we shouldn't. And, and all to delineate something that is really kind of unnecessary that, that uh, for, for the man of verse 175, that, that if I live to praise him, I will do nothing to offend him. And I'll do everything to glorify him. And it's what I was created to do. And it's, it's my highest achievement. It's the natural response of a soul that has been saved. It's to praise. How can I do anything but praise in, in light of Yeshua, in light of salvation, in light of all that he's done for me, in light of all that he has offered to me? And I sat watching, editing with my dual VCRs, uh, one sad soul after another, separated from their shepherd and their loving father, and thinking, oh, that they would meet him. No one would need to tell them the answer. They would already know it. They would be bursting at the seams to praise him for his goodness, his grace, and his mercy. Let me live so that I could do just that. But we end uh, in verse 176 with a, a grave note and a warning. It says, I've strayed like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I have not forgotten your commands. And the warning is simply this. You may stray, but you will never forget. You may stray, but you'll never forget. And uh, for some of you young people, yeah, I think that that's an appropriate word for today. And for some of you older people, you can bear out the reality of it. That, that in your youth, you may stray, but I promise you this. You'll be haunted by what you remember. I strayed in my youth, and, and I was a lost sheep, and many of you were too. And every step was a reminder. It was, it was a reminder of what I could never forget despite my best efforts, despite my efforts to smother the memory with, with everything that I could find down every avenue that I could wander. It was a reminder of a good father, of grace and of peace, of his loving kindness, of joy in truth. It was a reminder of the hollow nature of my sin and the dissatisfaction of my experience that I was clinging to because of pride. You may stray, but you won't forget. And I think that that's the worst punishment of all. Really, is the reality that when we stray, when we wander away from the Lord as a, as a lost sheep, we're constantly reminded of how simple and wonderful everything is when we were with him, when we were connected to him. 
And don't misunderstand. I'm not saying that, that it's a perfect world that you enter into when you walk with your shepherd. What I'm saying is that it's a perfect shepherd that you walk with. And that company makes all the difference. And so our prayer, the the concluding prayer of the psalmist, says, seek your servant. Yeah, I think a lot of time uh, we we assume, or falsely assume, that that it's us that seek God, right? That that it's all, you know, it's we're we're just, you know, we deserve an attaboy because we sought God, we found God, and good for us. Um, and, And we may for a moment. And that moment leads to redemption, and it's wonderful. But it's God that is constantly seeking us. Right? And Matthew 7, 7 says, you know, ask and seek and knock. But it's God that's daily, right, asking for you, seeking after you and knocking on the door of your heart. He's constantly desiring you to have this wonderful full relationship with you where he doesn't just care for you he's able to take care of you and the author says I cry and I pray and I praise and have your hands ready to help and this is the wonderful conclusion of the matter that that you consider a God that responds back and says when were my hands not ready to help daily I seek after you daily I'm ready to help you daily. My hands are for you, but I won't, won't force you into my, into my fold. Do you want such help? Right. And, and sometimes the help doesn't come the way that we want it. And I don't want to leave anyone with any illusions. I think that you come to church and you hear you know, it's a perfect world and everything's beautiful and wonderful and it's all sunshines and cupcakes and and you know birthday parties with funny hats you know and that's that's your life and uh, but it's not uh, sometimes we're, you you come and you're not given an easy way out sometimes you come and, and you're not given an easy path to tread uh, this is what is clear according to this passage he gives us himself. He gives us a good shepherd. He gives us Yeshua. He gives us salvation and deliverance. We get a deliverer. We get victory. We get one that cares for us and desires to take care of us. And you know what? In, in foolishness, we may stray. And in truth... The warning is clear. You'll never forget. But in Yeshua, one thing is clear. Right? That opportunity is always extended to us to enter back under the loving care of our good shepherd. Sammy, you want to close us? And with what Michael shared, I think it's fitting that we have a, a time where we push upon you to review and ask, maybe the Lord is seeking you. Maybe you've come to a place you haven't forgotten, but you're here and you recognize you've strayed. And now you understand too, but even though I strayed, the shepherd was looking for me. Maybe you were that one lost sheep.
and you're here. And we want to give you opportunity to respond. It's nothing going to be embarrassing, but let's bow our heads right now. And Father, as you are always speaking and you speak through every aspect of our life, your, your words have come from the pages of the scriptures here this morning and have brought insight and understanding to us. And Lord, perhaps there are some this morning who recognize I have been going astray. But Lord, it is comforting and good to know that you have sought me out once again. And Lord, we don't forget your commands. We are here as a testimony that you are good and that your words are true and that your love endures forever. And Father, throughout this psalm, we have seen a journey of highs and lows and it comes to a conclusion, Lord, of your faithfulness and Father, of the truth that holds us. And Lord, we pray that those here this morning who have recognized their distance from you have made the confession to draw once again close to you. And Lord, you all are already near. Lord, may you embrace them and may they work through what needs to transpire to change the relationship so that they are no longer distant. Father, in their own thoughts now, they are thinking about what has to change. Father, may you give them clarity. May they have the resolve. And may they have lives that by themselves praise you. May our lives give you praise, not just with our voice, but with our whole being. As we recognize we are wonderfully, fearfully made in your image. May we honor you with what you have created us to be. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.